Well, as you can see, we're beginning a new series leading up to Christmas called Fear Not. And in it, we're going to look at how angels appear to people four different times during the Christmas story. And four different times, they all had the same thing to say. They said, fear not. Yeah. <laughs> and so today we're looking at a fear that I think a lot of us share, the fear of further disappointment. Like kids at Christmas, sometimes we can be afraid that God's not going to give us what we're going to like or what we want. And that reminds me of a Jimmy Kimmel clip that I saw last Christmas, and I thought, hey, let's look a little bit at it today. Last week, uh, I issued a challenge. I asked the parents of America to put, pull a little holiday trick on their children. We did this on Halloween with candy and got a lot of response to it. <laughs> So we did it again, this time for Christmas. I asked parents to tell their kids they were gonna let them open one present a few weeks early. But instead of a good present, I said, put something the kids won't like in the box and then upload a video of that to YouTube labeled, Hey Jimmy Kimmel, I gave my kids a terrible present. And a lot of people did do this and um, they did give their kids terrible presents. And a lot of the kids surprisingly reacted poorly to that. What you, yeah, Charlie? I don't like this. Oh. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? What are you doing? Pushing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. A battery and an onion. What's wrong? I don't want an onion. Did you smell your onion? Here, smell it. What do you tell me all the time about my cooking? I love it. You love my cooking, so I made you something. You don't want that peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I'll eat it! I'll eat it! That's pretty good. I know none of you would have done that, though, right? None of you would give your kids such a cruel present for Christmas. We don't like to disappoint the people we love, do we? And sometimes that's why it's so hard for us to understand why God disappoints us. But it happens. I mean, in some cases, it might be so painful that we pull back from him and we say, you know what, I'm just not going to get my hopes up like that ever again. We fear further disappointment. And this is something we see in the life of Zechariah. 
He's the first person in our Fear Not series visited by an angel. Well, I want to start by talking about what led to Zechariah's disappointment. Why was he so afraid? And his story starts in Luke 1. Luke is telling it, and he says, My story begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the Abijah division of the Temple Service Corps. His wife, Elizabeth, was like himself, a member of the priest tribe of the Jews, a descendant of Aaron. So in other words, these guys were both PKs, pastor's kids. Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly folk, careful to obey all of God's laws in spirit as well as in letter. They had no children, for Elizabeth was barren, and now they were very old. So two things mentioned here would have led to great disappointment for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the first one is that they were no doubt grieved by the political and religious unrest in their country. King Herod, we know, was one of the most evil and insecure leaders of all time. And I think this only compounded Zechariah and the other Israelites' desire for God to send that promised Messiah, the Savior, the one that they believed would overthrow their enemies, like Herod, and set up this other kingdom, this peaceful one. But 400 years later, 400 years of prayers later, God had not sent the Messiah, and he had been silent while they waited. Maybe some of you came here today, and you've been praying, and God also hasn't responded to your prayers. That's, that can be disappointing. But that isn't the only disappointing prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed. Um, they, the second one was deeply personal. They endured the painful journey of infertility. Now, I know some of you here have gone through that. I haven't. I can only imagine how hard it is, month after month, to pray and get your hopes up, and then month after month to experience that disappointment. I can only imagine how Elizabeth got older and those prayers turned more desperate as her time was running out. And then when she hit menopause and that dream died, no doubt that they grieved and were disappointed. God had not given them what they hoped for. He could have, but he didn't. Have you recently watched a dream of yours die, despite your years of prayer? Maybe it's left you wondering, gosh, do my prayers really matter? This can happen. All of us go through that sometimes. But listen to what the Bible says actually takes place when we pray. Psalm 18 says, I pray to God my, for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured forth from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing, glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Wow, what a picture of what God does in the supernatural. He isn't up there complacent. When we pray, he responds. And he does so with intense emotion, you know? And so even though we don't see it all going on, even though we don't see anything happening, that doesn't mean it's not. You see, while we're waiting, we have to believe that God is working on our behalf. Maybe today you came to church disappointed, afraid, in hurting some way. More than ever, 
more than ever, you need to press in and keep praying. God wants to speak through prayer. He wants to comfort you. He wants to calm your fears and give you hope. Prayers really do make a difference. Well, as we continue in our story, we learn from Zechariah that his years of prayer had also made a big difference. Although he had given up hope, God surprised him with an answer he didn't expect. Verse 8 says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. So during this time, priests, hundreds of them, gathered together to pray that God would send the Savior. Verse 9 says, As was the custom of the priest, he, meaning Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So this was really big. This was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Zechariah was chosen out of all the other people there to go into the temple alone. He opened the doors. He walked in. He poured incense on the hot coals laying on the altar, and smoke rose up from them up to the ceiling, leaving the temple. And that smoke represented how God's prayers are lifted up and reach him. Verse 10 goes on, while the incense was burning, a great crowd stood outside praying. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. We gotta keep in mind, these angels aren't like the cartoon ones, right? These angels are large, powerful, supernatural beings able to strike down a nation in a single blow. And so standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with one unexpectedly must have been pretty intimidating, caused a lot of fear. Verse 13, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So Zechariah's dream of having a baby had died, but the angel announced that God was about to resurrect it. He was about to bless him in ways that he hadn't even asked for or imagined. He would parent a son, and that son, later known as John the Baptist, would have an important role in God's story, preparing the way for Jesus, introducing other people to Jesus. Well, this is a picture of what God can do in our lives. God may not answer our prayers the way we hoped. Sometimes he lets suffering hit our lives. But if he does, we can trust that it's for a good reason. There's a purpose in it. Psalm 126 says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joys. So God can take our, our past or, or present tears and like tender shoots, he can plant them and over time grow them into a harvest, into things that will not only bring us joy, but maybe make a real difference in the story of God. See, another way that we can fight off fear, fear of further disappointment, is by expecting God to take our disappointment and turn it into great gain. 
In the book, A Dream So Big, Steve Pfeiffer described how God did that for him. It was during the pregnancy of their third son that he and his wife um, learned that their baby had trisomy 13. And although they were encouraged to abort the pregnancy on multiple occasions, they didn't. They chose not to because they believed God had told them, this baby's life will have a purpose. Well, the baby was born, lived only eight short days, and Steve describes the grief that he and his wife went to as kind of overwhelming. And so he prayed and he felt led to quit his job, to take his family, move them to Kenya, and, and take a year-long sabbatical. And so they spent the year in Kenya um, being dorm parents to fifth-grade boys in a school for missionary children. In a letter home near the end of that year, he wrote, when our baby died, I lost my own life, and Africa helped me find it again. I'm ready to go home. Well, the day before he left to come back to America, he decided to make a little field trip, and he went to a school that wasn't very far away. And he walked in, and what he saw was a bunch of third graders laying on a dirt floor while the teacher taught up front. And so he went up to her afterwards, and he said, what, what's happening here? And she said, well, this is Thursday, and these kids haven't eaten since Monday. If they sit up to learn, they'll faint. Steve later describes this situation as kind of a, a quote from a movie. He said, I was just inches away from a clean getaway. He did move home, landed a good job once again at the top of his industry, but he could not get the image of those hungry children out of his mind. Shortly after, they decided to move back to Africa, resume their roles at the boarding school, and Steve's new mission became tackling the overwhelming hunger of Kenyan school-age children. Today, 13 years later, the family has adopted twins, and his team provides lunches to 200,000 school children in 35 schools. 200,000. In his book, he says, being able to deliver food to hungry school children has been a dream come true for me a dream I didn't even know I had until I got to Africa. It's amazing, if you stand back and look at his story, how the painful loss of one child led them to help hundreds and thousands of others. God had taken their tears, and he had produced a harvest, a harvest of joy, not just for the children that got fed, but for him. The dream that God gave him was filled. I wonder what purpose God has for your tears, what dream he might want to unfold in your life. He can turn our disappointment into great gain. But that won't ever happen if we judge our story too soon. That won't ever happen if we don't wait and see what God can do in our situation to give it meaning. You see, with God, and, and that's key, with God, your biggest disappointment may just end up being the best gift you ever got. Well, as we continue in our story, we see God wanted to turn Zechariah's disappointment around, but Zechariah refused to believe it was possible. He said to the angel, but this promise of a baby is impossible. I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel 
and I picture him saying this quite sternly, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me with this good news. And now, because you haven't believed me, you are to be stricken silent, unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. See, Zechariah chose to reject the good news. He voiced his doubts and unbelief. And as a result, I think what we see here is that he got the very first timeout. Yes, Zechariah was put in timeout. God wanted to teach him a lesson, and he was unable to speak the whole time his wife was pregnant. Now, that may sound harsh, right? You may go, gosh, that seems a little extreme. But God only disciplines those he loves. And if he disciplines us, then it's for a reason. It's out of love. And the reason for Zechariah's discipline is he knew that that negative outlook, that unbelief was hurting him. And it also had the real likelihood of hurting others who were around him. I wonder if a negative outlook is something that you're struggling with. If God stood here and said to you today, I'm going to turn that business around, would you believe him or would you say, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Or I know some of you are having health problems, financial problems, or maybe it's a, a relationship problem. If God said to you today, I'm going to do a miracle in that situation, would you get excited or would you be skeptical? See, we get to choose what kind of attitude we're going to have. After an extreme disappointment, we get to choose if we're going to be cynical and lose hope, or we can choose to stay positive and believe that God is a good God who gives good gifts. Well, this fall, I was having some trouble with my attitude, and apparently God felt the need to give me a time out. It was a bummer, but I needed it. One night I'd gone to my prayer group and I had once again shared all my doubts and disappointments and confusion. And I went home not feeling better, but feeling hopeless. The next day I woke up with laryngitis. Couldn't talk. And so I thought, hey, I've got time on my hands. I got this message coming up on Zechariah. Maybe I'll study that. And it was during those three days of laryngitis that God taught me a valuable lesson. I needed to stop voicing all my disappointments and look at my situation differently. Well, what was my situation? Well, this last year, I've been grieving some losses, some really painful things in my life. Like many of you, I was abused growing up. Um, I know about 40% of us were. Um, and had a dad who was very angry. He used his anger to intimidate and control. And although there were three of us kids, I seemed to be the one. I was kind of the scapegoat, I guess you would say. And at the age of three, he began sexually abusing me, and that went on into grade school. At one point, I started to resist him. Um, he just made things worse, got more violent. He would threaten to go get my sister if I didn't comply. My sister had Down syndrome, so that wasn't going to happen. And so I had a lot of fear. A lot of fear growing up. I did a lot of hiding, hiding from my dad, hiding the truth from other people, and even myself. For a good part of my life, I buried 
the worst of these memories, but eventually they began to resurface, and I was in my 40s at this time. I started having nightmares and flashbacks and other emotional problems, and severe depression set in. And as the memories returned, unfortunately, so did the fear. If you can picture me at my age hiding in my basement, that's kind of what was happening. <laughs> Well, during this time, my parents found out what was going on, and we had some conversations about it. And I asked two things of them. I said, um, I need you to keep this to, to this group, to ourselves. I didn't want anyone else to find out. I really didn't want to expose my dad, or I didn't have desires to get back at him like that. Um, I found the whole thing very shameful, um, not something that I wanted people to know. The other thing I asked for is just for time and space to deal with it, to get some counseling and get some help. Well, my dad didn't respond very well to my requests. He kind of went on the offensive, and he started um, talking about me. He started painting me as the picture of this malicious, unforgiving daughter who was attacking her innocent father. And uh, he did that to family and friends. Um, and you know, and initially, I, I did try to defend myself, but quickly figured out that wasn't going to work. People didn't know who or what to believe. And as a result, what they mostly heard for the next seven years was my dad's version, which, if you were to ask me, was very untruthful about what was happening. My mom, although she initially agreed what my dad had done, later jumped on his bandwagon and. I didn't see much of her during that time either. But I clung to this hope that my situation would end in God's glory. I felt like God had given me this promise over and over in prayer that this will end in my glory. And I wanted that, you know? I wanted that, but I had my own kind of version of what that would look like. I thought maybe God's glory would be my dad confessing and I would be vindicated, which... You know, that was important to me. I wanted my reputation restored. And I also wanted my dad to get right with me and to get right with God. I had forgiven him. And I can't explain that desire, but it was there. But unfortunately, my dad chose not to end things well. A year ago, he died of leukemia. He never accepted my offer to put the past behind us. The only confession was an angry one made in a hospital hallway where, screaming at the top of his lungs, he said over and over, yeah, I did it. Who cares? It was a long time ago. He wasn't sorry. And so, as you can imagine, after all this went on, I was disappointed. And I developed um, kind of a negative attitude. I wondered how I had gotten it so wrong. I had questions like, why did I try so hard? I felt naive and crazy for thinking things could end well. My prayers were fewer and safer, and the dreams that I had, any other of them, just put them on the shelf. I too, like Zechariah, had a fear of getting my hopes up. I just didn't think I could survive another disappointment like this. Well, the biggest disappointment actually wasn't with my dad. I mean, I was disappointed. However, if you look, he acted pretty consistently my whole life. Um, my biggest disappointment was with my mom. 
I had pictured after my dad died that my mom and I would have time to work on things, you know? And instead, by then, she had advanced Alzheimer's. And I do spend a lot of time with her now, but these days, she's just not the mom I used to know. Most days, she doesn't even know who I am. <coughs> so I've grieved, and I think, of course, that's appropriate, right? When we, we grieve, when we lose people we love. But during my time out, I, I realized that I had done so with a negative outlook based on all the ways I thought God had let me down. And when I turned that on its head and started looking for the good things he had done, I was quite surprised. <laughs> because God had indeed revealed his glory in my situation. I just couldn't see it because I was so focused on what he hadn't done. And so this is what I want you to hear as you leave today about my story, is that God did reveal his glory. How did he do that? Well, I'm healed. I'm healed of all that past abuse. I can look back in my family line and see that sexual abuse had gone on for generations. And you know what? It stopped with me. And the only reason is because of Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory. That's what I have to say. I had prayed for my parents' salvation since I was a child and seen little progress. But do you know that in the last seven years, while we were estranged, they started going to church, and they started serving and volunteering. And I started thinking during my time out, you know, who's to say? Who's to say that my dad didn't get it right with God? He pushed us all away. He spent his last two days alone, didn't want us around. I don't know that in his last moments he didn't get things right. He might have. And my mom, I've chosen to look at that differently, too. You know, I started thinking about it. My mom could have passed away before my dad. And even though it's not the time and the kind of quality time that I wanted to spend with her, we've been able to have some sweet and tender moments together and memories that I, that I will cherish moving forward. And I would say that maybe one of the bigger things that God did is really help me identify more with Jesus. You see, Jesus was rejected. Jesus loves people right up until the end. He never gives up hope on a good ending. If I had time, I'd tell you more, all the ways that God has blessed me and shown me his glory through my story. And I, I am so thankful for my time out. I'm so thankful that in his grace, he was able to silence my doubt and give me a more positive outlook. And that can be true for you, too. You have a choice whether or not you're going to have a positive outlook. Some of you have done this. You do this all the time. Your outlook is so positive. It's an inspiration. Steve and Nicole Thrift, I think of them. You know, They lost a house in a fire this year. And when you talk to them, they're, they're honest about their loss, their grief. But they always have something good to say about what God is doing. If you've lost your joy, God may need to give you an attitude adjustment, kind of like mine. And I would just ask that you don't wait for a timeout. Maybe today you can step back and look, look at um, your situation through a different lens. Maybe you can think about, what have I been saying? What have I been talking about? 
Because what we say and what we talk about is going to affect how we feel. And if you've chosen to see your situation through a negative outlook, you can change that by just answering the right questions. Questions like, you know, um, what things are better in my life because of my experience? How did God use my pain in a positive way? What did I learn? How have I grown? I know for me, even though my circumstances hadn't changed, it didn't take very long at all before I felt better. I was on a walk with a friend, and maybe a week or two after my time out, <laughs> and uh, I was telling her how happy I felt and how blessed I was. <coughs> Isn't that something? If we go back to Zechariah's story, we see that his time out also resulted in a change from the inside out. When his baby was eight days old, Zechariah's voice returned, and with it, an ability to share his new outlook on life. Listen to what he says at the end of the chapter in verse 68. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of David, just as he promised through his holy prophets. Here's the thing. Zechariah is talking about something that hadn't happened yet. So he apparently wasn't afraid of future disappointment. He was getting his hopes up here. God had replaced his fear of further disappointment with joy and with hope. And what was his joy about? The coming Savior, about Jesus. So what does our joy hinge on? I think we've seen today that our joy doesn't have to hinge on whether we get our, our prayers answered or what our circumstances are. Even if God handed us the worst gift we could ever imagine, we can still have joy. Why is that? Because God already offers us the best gift we could ever have. He already offers us Jesus Christ. Have you accepted that gift? Have you opened it up and made it your own? Because if you haven't, then you can do that today. Pastor Mike prayed earlier, and we... We can pray at the end of this message. But God has a gift for all of us that surpasses anything we could ever imagine. This Christmas is such a great time for us to reflect on and appreciate Christ. He came once as a baby in a manger. He's coming again. And like Zechariah, we can spend the time that we have left having hope for our future, being excited about the promise we have in Jesus Christ, and sharing it with those that God gives us opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, that with you we can have hope, that we don't have to live a hopeless, joyless life, no matter what's happened to us, no matter what other people have chosen to do or not do, Lord, we stand in awe of you, our joy, and our hope. And so, Father, we just offer ourselves up to you. We thank you, Jesus, that all it takes for someone to know you is to just confess and believe and accept you as their Savior. And so, Father, we confess that we need you, that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and that by your death on the cross, we can have eternal life. Thank you, God, that you can wash away our sin, wash away our pain and sorrow, and replace it with joy. And so, Father, as we leave here today, give us that overwhelming joy that comes from your Holy Spirit. 
no matter what is going on in our lives. And we just give you all the glory in Jesus' name.